And as we read earlier, our creed starts by saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We looked last week, I believe in God, Father Almighty. This week, I'm looking at the second part of that first sentence, simply the words, creator of heaven and earth. But how crucial those words are, how crucial the realities that they look at, that they bring before us. Because some would believe that the world, the earth, part of that sentence, is all there is. That that is simply where things begin and where they end. It all ends with what we can see, with what we can hear, with what we can touch, with what we can sort of measure. You know what I mean? It's the, the new atheists, that would be their worldview, their outlook. They'd be like, if you can't see it, if you can't measure it, if there's no data to explore, to examine, if it's not scientific, then it's nonsense. I mean, that's the world we live in, isn't it? I mean, don't you find with friends, you know, family, colleagues that you have, if you ever get into a discussion, which I hope you do, about faith, you know, sowing seeds, do you ever find that they, they come back with like, at the end of it, you've had a great discussion, and you think, yeah, I've really nailed it there. And they're like, well, you know, that's fine, but you know, I'm just too, I'm just too scientifically minded. Do you ever get that? They're like, I, I'm, I'm a scientist. And basically what they're saying in that is like, you're an idiot, um, but I'm a scientist. I use my brain. When actually how unreasonable really is it to believe that this incredible creation, world, universe that we live in has a designer? I mean, it's science and logic that leads me to believe that there is a God in the first place. That is reasonable to me. Anyway, that's not where we're going tonight, but there's some Many in our world today who would believe that, yeah, they would, they'd stick their hand in the air and say, yeah, my creed is, I believe in the earth, I believe in the world, but they would stop there. It's a sort of post-enlightenment, 18th century enlightenment mindset, which put all their faith in what was observable, what could be measured. But there are others who believe in more, we believe in creator of the heavens and the earth. Some just believe in the earth. This is what there is. But there are others who believe in more. I want to tell you about the time that I met Kylie Minogue. Okay? We were, um, it was many years ago now. I was about 22. So just five years ago. Uh, I was at a friend's birthday in a night spot near South Kensington. We'd had dinner on the top floor. Word went round at uh, the dinner party that Kylie Minogue was in the house, that she was celebrating at a party, an exclusive party, at the bar on level one. So I immediately, being the good Christian boy that I am, I immediately thought to myself, I am going to meet her, to evangelize her. <laughs> I want to tell her about Jesus. So with a, a bunch of us, we was like, right, let's get down there. We went down, bounces on the door. They got distracted by something else. Good work by those lads. We slipped in, gave them the slip. We were in there. We were mixing. We were rubbing shoulders with the rich and famous. There was a guy from EastEnders at the bar at the time. <laughs> we straight in with a high five. Yes, mate. Terry, there you are. Quick hug. Not much to say. Went our different ways. Jamiroquai over the... JK, I'll go and have a word with you. Uh, what do you do when you meet someone famous, if you've ever had that? 
I mean, there's not much meeting place. There's not much common ground. I love your music. I've got all your albums. He seemed thrilled with that. And I was about to give him space. You know when you feel awkward, like I'm using up too much? I've turned to go. And then he made polite conversation with me. So I was back in. So I was there for a couple of minutes. But anyway, that then came to a natural end. Uh, and I went back. And I was chatting with my friends in the middle of the bar. And we were just catching up. And uh, they then looked over my shoulder. And they were like, she's right behind you. And I was like, oh. I whispered a prayer under my breath. And I turned to just engage. And there was a sort of bouncer, a sort of henchman. I guess she, she I mean, probably most famous people have these people, don't they, to keep away the riffraff. The likes of me and you. Um, and so I was like, this guy's facing me off. And I was like, ah, the, the gateway. And I was like, I didn't know what to say. And somehow I found these words coming out of my mouth. I was hoping to have a chat with the lady. that? The lady. Anyway, it seemed to work, because he just, I saw his gears working, so I worked it through, and he's like, and then just dropped the shoulder, opened up, and there she was. Australian pop princess Kylie Minogue. And me, just completely losing my cool, was like, hi, hi, yeah, Kylie, hi. Um, sorry, this is probably going to be really weird, but um, listen, I just wanted you to know that um, God loves you. Uh, Sorry, that's probably really odd. I mean, you, you just don't, probably don't even believe in a God. I mean, do you believe there's a God? I mean, where are you at? And uh, her first engagement was like, I believe we all have a spirituality. And I was struck with that. I was like, yeah, yeah, spirituality. Because yeah, I believe that uh, God loves you, and you can know that because of Jesus Christ, who came, lived the perfect life, died for your sins, and has made a way to you to come home. I just want you to know that tonight. That's the only reason I came over. And like an idiot, having fashioned the opening, I then walked away. I could have had a sort of conversation about sort of neighbours, pop songs, Jason Donovan, whatever I wanted, but I left it at that. I sowed the seed. But my point is, Kylie's answer, I believe we have a spirituality. My Aussie accent. Many people today friends of yours, colleagues, family members, although they won't worship God, any specific God, they will consider themselves spiritual. And in so doing, I believe they're putting their hand in the air and saying, yeah, I don't just believe in earth, in what we can see, in what we can touch, in what we, we can measure. I also believe in the heavens, in the heavenly realms. That's their creed. There are some who... I just believe in the world. But there are others who say, I believe in the heavens and the earth. But they wouldn't go so far as to define it. Do you know what I mean? Do you have those friends? They're spiritual. God is ethereal. He, he's other. There must be something, but it's a force. It's not specific. And it's certainly not as specific as being the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who lived and died on a cross 2,000 years ago, but then rose again. Everyone has a creed. Ours is that we believe in the creator of heaven and earth, and that we believe he can be known and is the God and Father of Jesus Christ. But 
So what, Pat? What difference does that make? What does it even mean? Well, to say the words we said earlier, which I believe you said with your heart, believing them, is to say that we believe in a world that has two realms. That's my first point tonight. Our world has two realms. Grab a Bible or pull it up on your phone. We're going to be looking at the scriptures tonight, guys. It's going to be exciting. Hopefully we'll have some mindsets shifting. So turn to the book of Job. If you, in the Green Bibles, it's page, one, it's page 490. And we're going to be looking at Job chapter 1, verses 13 to 19. Or pull it up on your phone. It should be coming up on the screen as well. Job 1, 13 to 19. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. He's not having a great day. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at their eldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them. And they are dead. And I'm the only one to have escaped to tell you. Just move across to chapter 2, verse 7. Well, put a finger in that, sorry, at least. If we have a post-enlightenment mindset, if we just believe that there is this world and that there is that's all there is, then according to that worldview, Job is simply having a bad day. He's had a rough time of it. But all we could counsel for him is to maybe get some good financial advice, seeing as all his camels and sheep are gone, maybe go and get a good counsellor, take some antidepressants, uh, get some cream for those sores which he develops later on. That's the worldview that those who, who don't have a belief in the heavenly realm would have to adopt. There's no other explanation. And that's where people like Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, the other neo, um, new atheists and friends, that's where they'd have to land. And that's where we would land if that was all there is to this story. But it's not. Because the bit we haven't read comes just before that. Look at chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, 
Where have you come from? I love this. Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going to and fro in it. Just hanging out. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You see, there's different worldviews available. And out there, you'll get one. But in here, in this book, you get another. And it's a worldview that tells us that our world has two realms. Yes, there is the earth. Yes, there is the world. Everything in it that we can see, taste, touch, take in through our senses. But there is also the heavens. There is also the heavenly realm in which all of this is take place. It doesn't give us any further explanation. It doesn't explain why God allows this. Why God would allow one of his favorite sons to be treated this way. It throws up the, the biggest questions of suffering you could imagine in the book of Job. I mean, has anyone else had a day like that? Where you lose everything, including your family? Job holds fast and then Satan goes back to God and says, well, let me touch his body. He says, okay, touch his body. He puts sores on him. He's got open wounds, sores. He's in agony. Yet still he does not curse God. We don't get an explanation as to why. All we get is a picture into reality. In the book of Job, in the Bible, it's as if at moments God just peels back the curtains and allows us to see in, to see behind. You know, like in a play where there's all hands on deck sort of running around, pulling levers and ropes and making things happen, moving stage around. It's a bit like that. And in this book, what we've just read, it just gives us that insight into another realm that we cannot see, the heavenly realms where God, angels and demons, spiritual beings, blessings and curses, all are in operation. Because this in reality is the world we live in. This is the world that the Bible points to. The story of the Bible, the picture it paints, is of the universe being created perfect of God being at the center of all things, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, being in relationship with himself and yet wanting to share that with others. And so before he even creates a world, before he creates humanity in his own image, to walk with him, have relationship with him, he creates everything else. He creates these beautiful beings called angels who are to worship him, who are to serve him, who are to minister on his behalf. And these angels are incredible beings. And they glorify God. And we read in the Bible that one of them was called Lucifer. And Lucifer, we're told, according to some scriptures and tradition, many believe, was the head of heaven's worship team. 
He's the kind of James Hellings of heaven. Can you imagine such a thing? The glory, the majesty. I mean, he was no more powerful being in all of creation was made. There, there were some uh, who think that there was no one more beautiful. After God, he was the most beautiful of God's created beings. Who was just decked out in all kinds of beauty. If you want to read a, a description of him, you can turn to Ezekiel 28, which uh, the second half of that chapter gives you a picture of what Lucifer was, what he looked like, and what happened in his heart. Because in his beauty, in his power, he grew proud. And the Bible tells us that he desired, a desire grew within him to put a throne over God's. He basically looked in one too many mirrors and thought, I'm pretty hot stuff. I think I should be getting some worship here. And that was his heart. He ultimately loved himself more than he loved God. And so he wanted to set himself up and over God to be worshipped. But no one does that. Powerful though he was, he was nothing. He was a speck compared to God, the creator. And so God judged him and threw him down from the heavens, from the heavenly realms to the earth which had been created. This is the worldview we have to hold to, guys. This is what we're confessing in the creed. This is all there. The creed is just a neatly packed, it's the most well-packed sort of dossier of Christian truth that you can find. But in it is everything. And if you confess that, you are believing this, even though it seems like craziness, like make-believe to the world out there. This is the world the Bible holds out, that it was perfect, that Lucifer was part of that, but he fell, and he is otherwise known as the devil. And he is our enemy, and he is the enemy of all that is. And that's who comes before God in the book of Job. That's who seeks to bring down Job, to oppose God's plans on the earth. And Satan is real. Our spiritual enemy in the heavenly realms is real, guys. And this picture in Job, along with many others, shows us how the heavens interact with earth. doesn't give us huge details. It merely says that that is the case, and we need to take that seriously. Those realities affected Job's life. Those realities affect our lives on a daily basis. Let me ask you, is it really in your life, when certain things happen, is it really just that you're having a bad day? Is it really just that you're having a bad mood? Is it really just a relationship that's just fraying with no external force? Or is there something more? Could it be that there's something more at work, something more at play in this world we live in. I'm not saying that we become super spiritual, that we sort of see a demon behind every pillar. But let's not be naive. The Bible holds out a picture of reality that speaks of two realms, the heavens and the earth, and both of them interact. And the heavens have an impact, 
and an influence on the world around us and on our lives. We are not those who simply believe in the earth. We are those who believe in the heavens and the earth and that the two go together and they have a creator. We need to grasp this. If we don't get that mindset out the out, at the outset, then we're going to be struggling. And you will struggle to make sense of the Christian life. And you will struggle to stand firm when challenges come your way. Our world has two realms. Get that. What this means is that we can expect opposition. So Satan was this glorious angel worshipping God. He was the nearest to God's presence. He was known as a guardian cherub. He was probably the one who could get closest to God, even ahead of Michael, some think. The most powerful spiritual being in all of creation, but who grew proud and whose pride led to a fall. And when he was cast down, the Bible tells us that he took a third of the stars, a third of the other angels in heaven with him. Now the Bible, Revelation, talks about the angels, just these glorious beings, spiritual beings, who just day and night surround the throne of God and give him glory, give him worship, as well as interacting with this world, ministering to us, serving God's purposes. But when Revelation speaks of it, it says that their number is 10,000 times 10,000. Now, I haven't actually done the maths on that, but that is many millions, right? Billions. And in fact, that is just a number plucked because 10,000 was the biggest number available in the Greek language. Don't ask me why they couldn't think up 100,000. I don't know. What, I would have loved to innovate in that culture, 100,000, just to help them. But 10,000 was the biggest number. So what they're saying is this is it's just infinitesimal. We cannot count the amount of angels. But when Lucifer was thrown down, when he, was, when he fell and God cast him down to heaven, he took a third of the other angels with him. So Satan is not on his own. He has a great force, army with him, who are operating in this world, who I guess, like Satan, you know, where have you come from, Satan? I'm just going to and fro <laughs> within the world. Another translation says just seeing everything that's going on. <laughs> He's not on his own. There are millions demonic forces, fallen angels, who are going about the place. What are they wanting to do? Well, they are seeking to oppose God and his plans. Satan's love for himself obscured the love he should have had for God. And God in his judgment threw him down. Satan hates God. He is angry at God. God's judgment is on him as it is on every other angel. Therefore, what does Satan want to do? He wants to frustrate God's plans for the earth, for the world, for humanity. In fact, many believe that Satan, deep down, is jealous of God's love for us, for you and for me, for the particular favor he has towards us because we are made in the image of God. You see, the angels are special. They have incredible powers. They are beautiful beings of light. But they are not made in the image of God. That was reserved for us. That was reserved for humanity. And so Satan, hating God, hates the very ones who carry his image. 
And so he is opposed to us. He will seek to oppose God's plan in order to just reap vengeance and reap havoc. Turn with me to the book of Daniel. Now we might need a helping hand in knowing the page number. So that is page 850. We're looking at Daniel chapter 10. We're going to be beginning to read at verse 10 in a moment. But uh, Daniel, he's been carried off into exile and he has been reading uh, the book of Jeremiah. He's an amazing guy, a wise guy, Daniel. He's been setting himself apart. He's been remaining uh, holy to the Lord, set apart to God, not adopting pagan ways or eating the pagan food. And he's been reading the book of Jeremiah and he's been reading all about Israel's destiny but he's been struggling to understand it. And so he sets himself apart even more to pray for three weeks, to go without food. He he fasts and he prays for three weeks, seeking wisdom, seeking insight into the meaning of all that he's read. And at the end of it, we read that an angel visits him. Look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 10. It says, A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up, trembling. He was terrified, as everyone always is when they meet an angel in Scripture. Then the angel continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Let's just remind ourselves, Daniel started praying three weeks earlier. Three weeks earlier, he began praying, asking for insight, for revelation. And this angel's just told him, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Well, hello, what took you so long? But, verse 13, But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Say that again. (laughs) The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. He didn't stop for coffee. There wasn't sort of traffic on the King's Road and that annoying bit up there. Now, he was resisted by someone, something called the prince of the Persian kingdom. Bear in mind, this guy is an angel. So what is going on? Well, this is an insight into the spiritual battle that is real and is all around us. That yes, there are angels operating, bringing about God's plans, his purposes for the earth, for us, for the redeemed people of God. But those angels can be resisted in in the invisible realm, in the heavens that we believe in. We believe in the creator of heavens and earth. We believe in the heavens. In this realm, there are spiritual beings going to battle. Isn't that extraordinary? The prince of Persia held him up, held him up for 21 days. I'd love to see that fight. I mean, that would be amazing. But then, I love this. But then Michael, one of the chief princes, another of the just head honcho angels. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. 
and just scoot down to verse, to verse 20. He said, Do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. But when I go, the prince of Greece will come. Greece is now on the scene. Greece is getting involved. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. I mean, crazy, right? Mind-bending. And yet, what the Bible holds out as real and as true. And in what we confess Every time we say the creed, this is our worldview, guys. This is the reality we live in. The question is, do we believe it? Do we we believe there's a spiritual battle going on? That we have those forces on our side, but we have those forces who oppose us. Stick a hand in the air if you know what I'm talking about when I talk about spiritual battle, spiritual opposition, angels, demons, all this stuff. If you haven't put your hand in the air, and yet you're a follower of Jesus. Believe me, he will bring you to a revelation of that, and very soon. For me, it happened the night I became a Christian. I'd heard a talk in the resurrection, decided, realized, oh my gosh, it's true. The Holy Spirit opened my mind to realize it was true. Went back to my room that night, prayed a prayer saying, God, come into my life, fill my heart with your spirit, was powerfully filled with the love of God, became a Christian, was singing Alleluia in my bed, worshiping there, when within 30 seconds of that moment happening, it was as if Satan, Lucifer himself, just deposited himself at the end of my bed. Like this dark cloud seemed to fill the room. You know those moments where you just get chills? You you get your hairs standing on the back of your neck and you're like, oh, what is that? I mean, sometimes we get it because we watch the wrong sort of film or that kind of thing. But other times you just, you don't know what, you're like, oh, this feels funny. And you just want to pray. You want to turn the light on. You don't want to turn the light off. And that presence was there at the end of my bed. And I couldn't do anything. I didn't know how to shift it. I was praying, nothing working. I was like, oh gosh, Lord, this is, I've only just met you. What the heck's going on? Long story short, I prayed, Lord, you've got to get me out of this. I closed my eyes and he took me to a scripture. It's like the, the books of the Bible, the words started flashing past like, you know, like wind blowing it. And then I saw the word Ephesians. And then I saw um, these numbers, 11 over the number 12. And I turned to Ephesians and I looked up chapter 11. It doesn't have a chapter 11. But I was like, oh, what? Well, thanks. <laughs> I started reading, started reading on the final page of that chapter anyway, which happens to be chapter 6. I began reading and it starts saying basically like, well, why don't we go there, in fact, rather than me half getting it right. Ephesians 6, it started saying, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And I was like, even bearing in mind that presence had been there, that cloud, I was like, oh, this is good stuff. <laughs> this is right on the money. Put on the full armor of God. Verse 12, chapter 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, which exist. It goes on to recount the different elements of the armor that we as believers are commanded to put on, saying you're in a battle, put on the armor. I've been a Christian 30 seconds. The Lord had introduced me to the fact that, Pat, you are now in a fight. And it is a fight for your very soul. 
the numbers that he'd shown me, which was actually, sorry, my memory's going, with the numbers 10 over 11. I looked, I was like, what is this scripture? Where's it begin? It began at verse 10. And the very next verse, funnily enough, is verse 11. But in the margin of my Bible, it was like 10, 11. Anyway, just a huge encouragement. If you haven't learned that lesson yet, then learn it tonight. Ask the Lord to give it to you, to open your eyes. Because we each need to know that we are in a spiritual battle. If we stand for Jesus Christ, we will be opposed. That's the reality. That's what Daniel saw. That's what he learnt through this angel coming to him saying, I've been in a bit of a scrap with the prince of Persia. The prince of Greece is on his way as well. This is the world we live in. This is why we cannot accept the narrative from the the new atheists or, or any narrative that would do away with the invisible spiritual realm, the heavenly realm. Because it's just as true as the world that we can see and touch. And it impacts the world around us. That why you might think, well, why? It's a bit weird here in the West. We don't see much of that, do we? It sounds a bit whack. I love that quote from The Usual Suspects, where I first heard it. You know the one? It says, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Isn't that true for our society, for our world? And isn't that what we come against? Whenever we confess the creed, whenever we speak out our faith, saying what we believe, we declare truth as it really is. We declare reality. That no, he does exist. He is real. And he is opposed to you and to me. And I'll do anything to frustrate God's plans for this earth, which is to bring us into a relationship with him that begins now and goes on forever to establish his kingdom and bring the whole world to a knowledge of that truth, the glory that is in Jesus Christ. Amen? That is what Satan and all of his forces, every other power in the heavenly realms opposed to us, opposes. This is the truth. Are you ready for that? Expect opposition. Put on your armor. Put on the armor of God every day. Take your stand. Know you're in a battle. Don't think you're just having a bad day. Make sure you've prayed. Third, finally, what can we learn from confessing we believe in the creator of heaven and earth? Well, we learn from scripture that we need not be afraid because God is in control. Final little story I just want to open our eyes to comes in two kings. It's another awkward one to find. It's page 358 to the Green Bibles. I haven't looked. Have they been coming up on there? Excellent. 2 Kings, chapter 6, verses 8 to 17. It's pretty rough hearing that we've got this opposition, isn't it? That a third of the angels have fallen. But take heart, guys. Two-thirds remained. Many more billions are on our side than those who are against us. Plus, we have the creator of the universe on our side. I mean, what is to fear? Apart from Satan. Uh, 2 Kings 6, verses 8 to 17. The people of God are in a bit of trouble. They're facing opposition as they so often did. 
And it says in verse 8, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Well, that's helpful. (laughs) The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that place. Because the Aramean, I don't know, I knew where it was. Oh, God. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there too. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, when Elisha's servant, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Strange response. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots, chariots of fire all round Elisha. Hills full of horses and chariots of fire. In the earthly realm, in the heavenly realm, but having an impact on the earth, on the world. Guys, whatever opposition we we face, whatever you're going through, know that you are not alone. You have nothing to fear. Because greater are those who are with us than those who are in the world, than those who oppose us. If we could only see, if we could only have our eyes opened, even for a moment, to see what's going on in this building, what do you think we'd see? We'd see spiritual beings. We would see angels. We might even see demons. Who knows what we'd see? But we would see reality as it really is. Elisha prays to a man who's overwhelmed by fear, who's overwhelmed by the circumstances, who's overwhelmed by what he sees in the natural. And he prays, Lord, open his eyes. What eyes? The eyes of faith, his spiritual eyes, so that he can see reality as it really is. And as he prays that, his eyes are opened and he sees the forces of the Lord all around, surrounding the army that's surrounding him. And he knows that the battle is won. This is the world we live in, guys. This is why we do not need to be afraid. Whatever we're going through, whatever we're facing, we can know the message of the Bible is clear. The Lord is with us. The Lord is on our side. The enemy cannot harm us. The cross of Jesus Christ, the New Testament refers to it as the act of God that disarmed the powers of the heavenly realms. So whatever power the enemy had, 
whatever power he had to harm us, to come against us, was disarmed. Disarmed completely at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that good news? We have nothing to fear. We are free. But now the invitation to live in this world as it's made up of earth and heaven, the invitation to us is to walk in that freedom, to walk in the Spirit, the Spirit of God that's been poured out lavishly on us, the Spirit of God who lives within us, God himself. We are invited to live lives of freedom and to remember that we are not alone. We have friends, two-thirds of the angels who remained. Each one of us probably having a guardian of angel, angel or two, many think. If only we could see them, if, if only we knew, fighting for us, providing for us, protecting us. And then God Almighty, our Father in heaven, the Father we heard about last week with Tim, that good, good Father, giving us everything we need, watching over our every step, knowing every hair on our head. Yes, we face opposition. Yes, we live in a world that has two realms. But we have nothing to fear because God is in control. As I come into land, guys, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, our Father. And we believe that he's good. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And heaven and earth are no more clearly seen united than in the person of Jesus Christ. Fully man, but fully God. Fully of earth, but fully of heaven. Uniting the two, bringing true spirituality. And his mission was to come to this earth to destroy the works of the enemy, that fallen angel, Lucifer, Satan, who opposes us. He came to destroy his works and to seek and save what was lost. That's you and me and this world all around us. He came to open up a new future where God and man, where heaven and earth are united fully once again. A life that has begun now but will only fully be realized when he returns. And he is coming, guys. The good news is, he is coming. But until he does, we walk by faith, living in a world with two realms, expecting opposition, but not being afraid, because God is in control. Amen.